This is Venerable Dr. Panyawadi Bikuni. <laughs> it's just a nice tongue twister to try to say it all. And Maureen, I don't eat Maureen, Maureen Hall, am I right? Okay, Maureen is a student and a good friend of Venerable, so they have they have something exciting for us, I know. Uh, Venerable Panyawadi is a, a really dear friend of the temples and considers Bande Sujata one of her teachers, a special teacher, and uh, it, it just, it's, since we've met her, uh, it's, she's been a great friend of ours. So some of you have heard her. She's been here two or three times over the years. And um, I know she's delighted to be here, and we're just delighted to have her. And uh, afterwards, uh, she's going to talk about some of the work she's doing around the world and also in North Carolina. I don't know what she's really going to talk about. <laughs> 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 not going to hold her to anything. She'll talk about what she needs to talk about. But um, afterwards, we're going to um, be accepting donations for her to, for the work she's doing. And so we'll do that at the end. Tyler is asking. <laughs> so, Venerable, that's all you have to Thank you. this is a chant, Western style, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Come let us pray. 
And uh, my soccer members looked at me and they said, well, you know, like, about how long are they going to stay? <laughs> they said, you know, we, we think this is a good idea, but it's not a permanent solution, right? <laughs> and I, I said, well, no, it, it won't be, because the whole community is going to come together and help. They just needed a place, and we have a place. So four years later, the community has not stepped forward to help <laughs> yet. It's like, oh, let Paniwadi do it, you know. But in this process, my Sangha learned something about themselves. You know, this, this uh, constant thinking of me and myself and mine. And they got a good reality check, and they've been working on that. They've had four years to work on it. And it must be working because now the community is stepping in. But until their generosity, and, and that's in the sense of, of their giving, not of their dollars, but of their uh, time, of their energy, of their talent, of their heart, until that moved to perfection, the lesson was there in front of them. So I'd say to them all, their reward was they got a, a, new, uh, a new Dharma Hall four times the size of the old one. That was their graduation present. I was so pleased because I could see that the generosity had been perfected in them. And in its perfection, the people had started coming forward to help. You know, sometimes we have to travail and work at something until uh, we perfect it inside. And right about the time when we're feeling like good old, you know, this is it, I could do this all day, then that, that task is over and another one comes on the horizon. So after four years, our song is being released from so much responsibility, and then thinking, oh, now we'll go and sit back down on the pillow. <laughs> oh, but then I got a call from Thailand, and the sister said, you have to come and help. You know, she said, uh, we have so many uh, women and, and girls that are being snatched up in the uh, sex trade here, you know, or sold into slavery. She said, we need to do something. And what we need is we need to have uh, women in spiritual leadership. When they can see women in these roles, in these positions, when they have a woman they can come and talk to, that they can speak about the intimate details of their life and that they can get advice from. She said, then things will change in this country. So she said, I'm over here and I'm struggling. She said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to ordain women, but you know, my visa, they give me a three-month visa, a one-month visa, then a six-month visa, then a one-month visa, then a three-month visa. She said, I cannot get a long-term visa. And anytime they get ready to, to turn me out, that'll be the end. Kaput, finish work, cannot go forward. She said, would you come and help? I said, well, what do you want me to do? So I want you to come over and you ordain because you can get on a plane and go back home. I said, that sounds like a good idea. And so that's what I did. And so we have like this tag team going on. But it's accomplishing such great things. You know, no need to talk about it. No need to go and demand. You know, in, in, in the Bible it says if uh, uh, slaves uh, work hard for your masters, masters, Treat your slaves like your own children. Then it says, you know, but slaves, if you see opportunity for your freedom, go ahead and take it. And so, <laughs> and so it's like this. So I said, there's no need to ask for uh, our, our liberty. If the women see an opportunity, they should seize it. And so 
the women started coming. And over the last, uh, uh, I think it's three and a half years now, we have uh, 19, uh, 16 bakunis, Thai bakunis, and uh, three seminaries. And I'm going back on Tuesday, and we'll be doing another ordination. And it's such a wonderful thing to see these beautiful flowers coming up and to see the monks, you know, congratulatory and happy, saying, oh, finally, the Buddhist family is back together again. Male and female renunciates, male and female householders, how wonderful this is. And so we're coming back, we're coming home, we're returning to the, to the uh, desire of the Buddha for all people, all states, you know, you have to know what a state you're called to. You know, uh, some of us are called to uh, uh, have one partner, so we should like stay in that estate. Some not supposed to have any, so we should just not get married because it causes a hardship for ourselves, causes a hardship for others. And so, so you have to know which station you're called to, and you walk in that. So some say, well, why would anybody want to be a monk? And some monks say, why would anybody, you know, want to be a household? But it's just our frame of reference. We find our place of ease in walking through the world. And some of us give our, our joy and, 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 and our heart to another, and some give it to everybody equally. That's all. Just when I was asking my husband if I could, could leave and become uh, a, a nun, he said, uh, well, I was Diane, and he said, well, Diane, I guess I should let you do this because, uh, you know, you love everybody, and I want to be special, you know. He said, uh, I just, I want somebody who just loves me more than everybody else. You know, I said, it's not that my love has diminished for you, but my love has bumped up a few notches for everybody else. That's all. And he understood, but he recognized that this was my space. This was the path that I straight. This was my destiny. And as sorrowful as it was, there was also a great rejoicing. Because you know, it's like when you know you're stepping in to your own freedom, into your true freedom. There's a, a passage in the, uh, in the uh, Majima Nikai where the Buddha talks about uh, walking through the forest like a rhinoceros. Now, I don't know how rhinoceros a walk, but, one, but I just have this image in my mind, you know, like just treading through, not like they own the forest, but like nobody and nothing owns them. That's what I'm talking about. His disciples were called the free men. They were also called the happy ones. You know, and that's why I think sometimes, you know, we can be so busy trying to be aloof, not just aloof, like detached, but aloof, like above the cares of this world, above the vicissitudes, above praise and blame and loss and gain and pleasure and pain and shame and fame. And how, how do we get there? There's a space that we come up to like the, uh, the pinnacle, uh, you know, that's perched at, at, the, at the top of a mountain where we can see both sides. You know, and we don't take one side over the other. Like sometimes, you know, the, the, it's storming outside, and sometimes the sun is shining. That's just how it is in Samsara. Don't like it, get out. And so there's a way. You know, he gave us a path, a means to get out. 
Now, for some, for some of us, you know, we're just having to get uh, out of our little things, our, our little anxieties, the things that have us, the, the thing we thought we had them, but then we find out they have us. And, and it's causing us so much pain, so much anxiety, you know, all of our attention. You know, I, I would do this and I would do that, but I'm like, I'm just so bogged down right here, you understand how it is. And so we find ourselves uh, losing our freedom uh, through the abundance of things, losing ourselves in the uh, stickiness of relationships. I'm not talking about relationships, I'm talking about stickiness. So don't leave and say, oh, she said, everybody leave your husband wife. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm talking about learning how to, to pull away from the stickiness. From the long time story that, that women, you need a, need a man to be uh, complete. I mean, that's what they told me. And I believed that. And I was always looking for that. And so I come up to this place that I remember I was not joined at the hip when I came into the world. So I may not be joined when I go out, and it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not lost, you know, I'm not deficient. I mean, you know, these kinds of things. And so, and so we go through life and we start to question some of the things that we've just taken uh, as the absolute truth. And our experience says it's not exactly like that. And so we have to inform our view to get a better idea of how it actually is. And we learn a lot of this as we go through our travail and we decide that um, maybe this is not what I need to be happy. Maybe this is not giving me what I thought it would give me. And then we start looking for something else. But I will tell you the truth that we cannot find any satisfaction, and we cannot find any happiness until we get away from this notion of me and myself and mine. It, it makes for the crazies. We completely fall apart. We get so uh, overburdened, overtaxed with our concentration on ourselves. And when we're at this point, there it is. There's the Dharma speaking and speaking to us. And it teaches us how to consider others as oneself. And so there comes an opening, a crack in the shell. And we learn to uh, open our hearts and to give away a little. And so the Buddha said he, he, he gave a gradual teaching. You know, when I got I started on this path, I went to the Southern, to the, uh, southern School. I wanted Southern Enlightenment. I'd already gone a long time in another spiritual discipline. I said, time is running out on my sister. I want the Southern, you know? <laughs> and so when I, I got in, and they said, yeah, come. This is Southern, Southern Enlightenment. You know, but what I found out is, like, the path is gradual. One day, suddenly, it'll be there. <laughs> you know, so it was a trick, but it's okay. <laughs> So here it is, he said, I teach him a gradual training, you know, and there's gradual progress. And he started with generosity. He said, because it's something that we have to know about the effectual working of generosity, that it is, it is not uh, so much in the, the giving, but the efficacy is in the blowback. 
Because when I give, I receive. I receive directly according to how I give. So I don't have to try to get. All I have to do is give. The receiving is inherent in it. It's born and it cannot be separated from it. So all the time I spent trying to get, now I realize, oh, I got it wrong. And learning to just give. There's a, 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 a CDL student out in California. She wrote this song about generosity. I like it so much. You know, it is such a Dharma teaching. You know, because I, and, and when the song came forward, you know, early in my life, I learned something about uh, giving. You because know, in, in our church, they taught tithing. First of all, 10% is what you gave to God, you know. And he says, now, you give it to the pastor who does the wrong thing, well, don't worry about it, because you really gave it to God, okay? And so we gave the 10%. They said, now, that's your reasonable service, so that doesn't count. You're still at zero. You haven't given anything yet if you only gave 10%. So then we, we learned to be, it was like pulling teeth, but we learned. Uh, we learned a generosity. But I'll tell you how that came to serve me later on in life. Because after a while, 10% seemed like such a small amount of 100%. So then it was 20%. Then was 30%. Then was 40%. I almost lost my husband. <laughs> and he was like, you know, um, I'm not sure that, that, you, that, that all of this is required. You know? I said, no, it's not required. It is just the way it flows out of my heart. But look at, look at the blowback. Look at what I got back on the top end at 50 years old. When I had my loves, I had my children. You know, I'd had my businesses, I got my education, I had all my degrees, I had my fame, I, I, I did everything that I wanted to do. I spent a wonderful life where I never had to cook, went out to dinner every day, you know, didn't I have, you know, like that woman, where's my meal? It didn't happen in my house, you know. I, it could pay for, for someone, I went out to the best restaurant, that's why I have a problem, you know, eating is my thing. You know, I know why. But some of us, we need that. We need that check on the, on the appetite. It's true, and so so that was it uh, for me. A great life, and I did everything that I wanted to do. I didn't do everything, but I did everything I wanted to do. But here was the return for those early years of giving. Was that I got an opportunity to hear the wonderful dawn all the way here in America. And I got an opportunity to step into my freedom. It's like that, you know. So it came a hundredfold return for me. So this I know is true. I know this for myself. And I say to you, he said, you know, don't take my word for it. I challenge you to put it to the test. But then, you know, even the giving, that's the lowest form of generosity. Then we move on and we start giving of ourselves. After a while, you know, we had a business and my husband said, are you ever coming to the office? Because I was always, you know, at church doing something. I was working with the sound. I was working with the choir. I was working with the children. I was on the trustee board. I was, you know, just always just something else, something else, something else. And when I first came, 
but there was really no job for me because they didn't know me. They're like, you know, we don't want her in, in too many things. I started cleaning the bathrooms. But you know, cleaning the bathrooms for me was the same as being on the pulpit. It was my pleasure to clean the bathrooms. And after I had been faithful over that, I got bumped up the vacuum in the carpet, you know, <laughs> in the sanctuary. And then after that, you know, and then one thing after another, I went through every station in the church. So when I became a pastor, I understood how everybody felt in every single role, you know. I was every one of them. I knew how they felt. I knew what their interest was. I knew what their objective was. It's so wonderful, you know, like when you um, uh, have uh, a, a teacher and an abbot like Ronda Sajada, because, you know, when you start and you touch every station, then, then you can be touched with everyone's uh, feeling of infirmity. And you know how to succor, how to bring comfort. You know how to do skillful means, you know. You know, a lot of times we want to do, but we just don't have the skillfulness. But it's so wonderful when there is the will to do and there's the skillful means to do. It makes a big difference. So you not only have Bonte, we got them all over the place. Even I had them down in, in uh, North Carolina when we started. You know, we said, you have to come and, and, and help us. You have to tell us what we should do. You have to give us some advice. He told me to be myself. Because I was trying to be like all those other monks. You know, like vanilla wafers. Everybody looking the same. Everybody talking the same. Everybody, you know, and you had to be so quiet. And, you know, it was, it was killing me. You know, because that's not just how I'm wired. So I was so happy to see Monty. So Johnny was the first monk that smiled. You know, because, you know, we just seen the song, you got the old time religion, y'all to show some sign. You know, so they would call it happy ones. I mean, you know, I should be able to know it. I should be able to, you know. And there was a monk that smiled. You know, oh, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> and I came alive, right at the point that I was getting ready to give up. You know, I love the Dharma. The Dharma was like nutriment to me. The, you know, just to read a sutta was so, um, it was like I could just tear the page out and eat it. You know, it was so full. But the monks, you know, they just look so sad. You know, so detached, so aloof. And I was like, what is, what is missing here? You know? We didn't, we didn't have, he's gotten westernized, you know. He came and said, I see these people need a little bit of help. And so, uh, and, and he brought out the smile and that work. So maybe in their country, they needed to be a little more, the more you know, uh, Easterners, they're a little more subdued than we are, you know. But here we needed a little something. You know? And he was, able to, he was able to let me see that it's there. And it would be useful in this time and in this place. And so, I stayed. And I'm glad that I did. And I went through many trials. And many times I felt like giving up for me. But I thought about the nuns in Thailand. You know? And so there we are, and we're ordaining, and this whole big thing comes up about, uh, you know, uh, Ajahn Brahm and, and he does the right thing and he gets excommunicated, you know, and uh, I remember that little part in the Christian uh, 
scripture that said, and if you see an opportunity for your freedom, seize it. So we went over and we just started quietly ordaining and training the women to take care of the women, to be a, a counselor to the women, to help with the uh, uh, teaching the children, uh, training them up in the dawn. And gradually, it has set in. Now nobody can say, you know, no female monks in Thailand. I mean, they're, I mean, they're there. I mean, if they're there, they're there. You know, no need to talk about it. No need to say, here I am, you know. But they're there. And it's a wonderful thing. So now coming up, on the end of this, I'm thinking, okay, now I get the chance to go back and sit. You know, back to, back to that, you know, things are going good. I get to sit on the pillow. Then I get an email from India. A guy says, uh, uh, Bikuni, will you come and help us? I said, uh, who are you? He said, uh, we're uh, um, untouchables. They're about... Uh, 3,000 of us who have come together and uh, we represent around uh, uh, 30,000 people in 10 villages. And I didn't know that much about the untouchables, you know, I know a little bit. But I started doing some research and I was horrified. And I said, well, why would you call me? You know, I'm just this little poor nun in uh, the... Um, Appalachian Mountains of Western North Carolina. That reads P-O-O-R. <laughs> so I don't have any money. You know, so he said, he said, it's not the money that we're after. He said, uh, we Googled for uh, a black nun, and you were the only one that came up on the internet. <laughs> about struggle in your country, you know? And he said, uh, so you could understand what we're dealing with. I mean, we, and we don't have to try to explain it to you, you know? He said, but others, they say they understand, but you have to walk a mile in our shoes to understand. I said, I do understand, and I will come. And so I went, and when I went, I was horrified. I mean, here were, here were uh, people, um, uh, they were like just bunched together in little villages at the end of a town. So there's only one way in and one way out. And the townspeople are all uh, upper caste. They're all people who proceed according to, to their spiritual tradition from the body of Brahma. The Brahman are holy men proceeding from the head. The, the rulers proceeding from the heart. The, uh, the merchants and those who make the society uh, flow proceeding from the loins and uh, those who uh, support all of these others and, and, and keep the society running proceeding from the feet and then there are others. And they don't proceed from Brahma at all and they are considered non-human. I'm talking about 200 million people, that's a lot of people. 200 million people. So right away I'm thinking this problem is way bigger than Brahmi Wadi. And it is. But I'm talking to you today about the power of one, what one person can do. You know? So
so that we know that we are not impotent, but there's a dunamis, there, there is a, a, a latent ability. And whatever we feed in us grows. So we look at our habitual tendencies, the ones that we have fed, that have led to our, our anxiety, that have led to our depression, that have, have led to our fear. We know we've been feeding the wrong thing. So there is this uh, energy, this dunamis, this power inside this seed that can be uh, nurtured, it can be watered, and we can seize the essence of a precious human life. And the Buddha came to show us how. And if we do uh, a good job at it, the fruit that we get at the end of that road is that this could be the last one. This boredom that we have, this continual, like a gerbil on a tread, on a tread wheel, round and around. You know, when I first uh, encountered the Buddha Dharma, uh, 1985, it was introduced to me because I was asking, I was seeking for an answer about why I do the things that I don't want to do, why I don't do the things that I do want to do. You know? And then I heard something, you know, and what I heard was, dwell by the light itself, rely on yourself, do not rely on others. And I realized that I had a great reliance on someone else. And that reliance gave me a great sense of connection and love, but it didn't really stop me from not doing certain things or from doing others, even with all my love. I had to learn to rely on myself. And so here I am. I say, okay, how come? And I see these conditions where they're sitting at the end, sort of like of a town cul-de-sac, 3,000 people, no water. They have to walk miles to get water. That's the woman's job, you know, and the children. The men, no work. The few that do work, a dollar a day. So mostly they just drink their life away. The women clean the, uh, the alleyways where the, uh, the toilets um, run. You know, they have a flush system and the waste just goes down, uh, drops down to the ground level and they come out every morning with their uh, brush and their pan scooping. That's, that's their job. And they clean up the garbage on the street, that's their job and they're called untouchables. Um, uh, this rule of untouchability, you know, if, if uh, their shadow falls on an upper caste person, that person is considered polluted. So if you can imagine raising children, beautiful children, uh, with this kind of stigma, this kind of mindset. You go out to my website, paniwadi.org, and, and there's a, uh, a video clip on it 
to just see the conditions will break your heart and make you cry. They can take women without, uh, and there's no repercussion. They can just take them, have their way with them. Rape them. When I was there, they raped a woman and her child until they killed them and threw them in the middle of the village. Husband, father, couldn't do a thing. Because to do something would just bring more carnage on the village. The government has systems in place where we'll give you a track of land and you can work that land. But you can't say to the landlords, I'm no longer going to work your farm, I'm going to work my track of land. Because they raid the village at night. And when they do, they kick in doors indiscriminately. They don't come after the one who says, I no longer work for you, I'll raise my own crops. They go in any door and they hack up anybody. Somebody's grandmother, somebody's child. And what that does is it makes the village keep everybody in control. Because we're not going to come after the one that resists. We're coming after anybody. This kind of fear. You know, but what he said to me that really touched my heart is he said, you know, our children are not like us. They decided that they'd rather die than live like this. And he said, if they stand up and fight, there will be rivers of blood. And so I came, and they said, what we want to do is we want to convert, first of all. Our, our, our spiritual tradition holds nothing for us. We were born untouchable, we die, live untouchable, we die untouchable. That's just the way it is. So they wanted to convert. I wanted to convert to Buddhism. And I went over to do some of these conversions. They said, and we want to set up a new system, a new society. They said, I actually want to go back to the old. You know, and we want to have a matriarch. <clears throat> because we think that the women are wise. And we look at how men have run everything. And there's something lacking there. The compassion is not there. Or the wisdom without compassion becomes cold and haunting and cunning, and before you know it, we have what we have in the world today. So we want to go back to the woman's wisdom, and the men will protect. So this is what we want, and that's why we looked for a woman. And so I went. And after uh, giving uh, Diksha to about 300 people, I said, you know, we need to stop right here. Because there's some other things we need first. We need to have some water in these villages. And so I got an estimate, $5,000 for a well. $15,000 for three wells, three villages, each about 3,000 people, $9,000. Uh, 9,000 uh, people can be served with the three wells. Then I looked at the kids, and uh, English is the national language. But they only give the untouchable kids one year of English. They give them free college tuition, but they have to be proficient in English. So they're not proficient. $10,000 allows us to educate 20,000 kids. Uh, just a roving teacher that circulates among the 10 villages. That's all it takes. But these are people who don't get paid in money. They say, oh, we don't give them money. We give them grain. You know? We give them our leftovers. 
And so now I'm leaving, thinking I'm going to sit down again. You know, I'm just going to have to tie my pillow. <laughs> because it looks like I may never get to sit again. But you see, the, what I thought I would get from the pillow, it is coming as I work. As I work, my eyes are being opened. As I work, the stillness is settling in. And the things that are, the, the monkey mind, gone. Because those things are not in my life. The clarity is there. I can see. And so this is the joy that comes, that every day, you know, I am, it goes beyond service. Service is like giving something, like I am doing something. But there comes to a place that when your generosity is getting perfected, that there's no thought of an eye, there's no eye that's doing this, it's just the doing. So you show up not knowing. You don't even have an idea of what needs to be done. You bear witness to what's going on. You listen to the aspirations of the people, and you join together with them at that. That's it. That's it. No more worry. And then it becomes a joy. Every step they take, you know, you are, are, are through uh, mudita. You are rejoicing in their progress, in their joy. Oh, it's so wonderful. That's the blowback from generosity. And so this is my life. I've become a, a Roman. You know, if, if I was Japanese, I'd be a Ronin. I you know, just always loved them. You know, you had the samurai and you had the Ronin. And, uh, you know, the samurai had this really strict code, you know. But the Ronin, like, they just like Ronin free, like the rhinoceros, you know. And I always loved the Ronin, you know. Because sometimes they do something that seemed wrong, but it was really right, you know. And so, so I liked it. And sometimes, you know, they were like, just like, uh, they were like, loose. the Buddha talks about, we can't like be too straight. You know, he said, he said you have to lean a little bit, lean a little bit, kind of like this, to make it across. And so this gives us a, a chance to lean a little bit this way, and to lean a little bit this way. And we make it across. And when we get to the other side, you know, we don't even know how we got. When we, when we um, debark on the shore of peace, we don't even know how we got. You know, when we're there and we're uh, seated in tranquility, you know, it was such an easy transition, not a struggle. You know, when our joy is full, I understand where the joy comes from now. Not in the abundance of things, but it's in the general. It's uh, losing my life to find it. And so here I am now working. One is not, number one hasn't finished, door number one, number two hasn't finished, and here's number three. You know? But there's this space where you find that you can expand. There's a great uh, vastness. And we find that our capacity to do increases because it's really like no one doing. When there is one doing, then we're, we're limited. But when there's no one, there's just a doing. 
So I'd like um, if you would do uh, generosity and just listen to these to these words and and see the joy that just rises up with with uh, with the truth as it comes and it fills your heart.
Whoever thought giving could be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing is that you lose yourself in the vastness, in the emptiness, in the stillness. Find there's nothing that you need. Nothing that you need. And that is the ultimate freedom, the ultimate liberty. Nothing that I need. And so the end of the story with the kids is after taking them in, and yeah, there was food and clothing and shelter, but after having them, they were discovered that there's something else they need, more than three hots and a cot. You know, they needed to finish school, but school represented failure for them, so then we had to get a, a, a private high school platform. So they could uh, study a little bit for an hour, then they go and shoot pool. I, you know, I set them up with the, they have the, the Wii, the, did uh, <laughs> I set it up with the Game Boy, the uh, pool table, the uh, foosball. Uh, and so the community said, we're not paying for that. But you know, these were kids. They needed to have an outlet. They needed, they had lost their childhood and they needed a moment so they could, they would work for uh, a couple of hours in their studies and then they'd go and they'd play for an hour or two and they'd come back and they started finishing school and making A's and B's instead of D's and F's. So then we started thinking, you know, this group home kind of environment, uh, they need something different because they're never going to go back home. This assimilated family, uh, that's not going to work. They need to be prepared for in independence. So now we need uh, a different kind of living arrangement. They need to learn how to live alone because they're going to be alone now. They won't be going back home. And so then we have to get independent housing, like two sharing an apartment. Well, a sharing apartment, you can be pay rent. So now we need to have uh, a, some a enterprise, some way for, the, for them to make money. But to make money, they have to have some training in something. You know, so you just see how it just kept growing. They kept saying, oh, partner, why you think too big? No, I'm not thinking. I know what it takes to function in this world. You can't say, oh, well, they can make it now because I gave them some food. Or they can make it because now I gave them a, a bed to sleep in. You know, but they had to have all of these things to be able to make it. So then we started a, a, a bakery a gluten-free uh, bakery, and that started last uh, March, so we're coming up, what is, is this March? Yes, uh, March 15th, what's the day? 17th. So, we're two days beyond our first year's anniversary, and I said, well, you know, it can't be a bread, uh, it can't be a bakery, because a storefront's only going to make us enough money to pay for the overhead, the ingredients, you know, and the delivery. We, there won't be enough money, so we're gonna have to have a bread company. We're gonna have to have some sort of some money left over to take care of the programs. And so we changed it from my gluten-free baby to my gluten-free bread company. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> and, and then the Department of uh, Labor uh, certified our training program. You know, it's not hard to do these things. Just wrote it up one night. They said, oh, that's pretty good. So we, uh, we set up the training program. Then the uh, North Carolina General Assembly gave us $100,000. They said, 
we, we know nobody in your community is going to help because we've been trying for years to get them to do something for the young people. But we're going to give you some money so that you can pay some salaries. And they helped. And then we uh, went to Ingalls, uh, which is a 198 chain store to try to get the bread. And they said, I'm sorry, come back in a year if you're still in business and we'll talk about it. So this uh, organization was giving a fundraiser and they asked us for some bread. I said, you all are doing better than we are. We'll sell you the bread at cost, but we can't give it to you free. Well, one of the volunteers forgot that I said that. And they gave me the bread for free. But don't you know that Mr. Ingalls, the one who owns the 198 <laughs> store chain, went to their fundraiser and he tasted the bread and he called. You know, we got a call from the vice president of bakery uh, the very next week and our bread went into their stores. And so we're in 10 of the 198 stores because that's all we can handle logistically right now. But you see the prospect there is so good. And then uh, two months, uh, this is our second month now, uh, in Earth Fair, in the three stores in our, our region. And Earth Fair is, as you know, a national chain. And so, so we see that something is happening, you know. Uh, so we can't be afraid to dream. We can't be afraid to step out and do. And it takes each one of us. You have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful temple. You know, I was a little bit upset, just a little like monk level upset. <laughs> with, with, with Bonte, when I found out that uh, you all had, had purchased the building and had been here for a year, and I just found out, I was trying to give Wimela uh, 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 what for about it. She said, no, I told you, I told you, you know, but you were so busy traveling. You, you, you know, I guess it, it slipped off your radar. You know, so I'm so sorry I wasn't here when you had your grand opening. I, I so wish I could have been here to celebrate with you. But when I did hear about it, I started celebrating. You know, like, your, your, your uh, success is my success. Your victory is my victory. But you know, you've got to pay for this now. And so, <laughs> and so we have to keep this in mind, that this is a worthy endeavor. When we're talking about generosity, we're talking of starting with the dawn. But remember the Buddha said that is the lowest. Now we're at the highest here. And that is the giving of the Dharma, the most precious gift of all. And this is not just uh, uh, the bounties, you know, that uh, uh, accrue the merit for this, but it is everyone that makes this possible. That everyone, no matter what your role is, no matter what your job is, no matter what you do, every one of you. I'll get the full 100%. You know how it works is like this. I have three children, right? How do I love them? I love each one 100%. You know, my love for one doesn't take away from my love for the other. I love each one 100%. And that's how merit works. That each one gets 100% of the benefit, of the greatest gift. And that is the gift of, of dawn. So you may have to work hard for a little while. But if you could just see the ramifications throughout time, not just this life. There was some, I was reading a, a, a sutta, and, and I'm through, I had five more minutes, I'm learning to be a little bit more on time. Uh, you know, I was reading a sutta about um, a frog. 
And uh, this uh, man smashed the head of the frog, and the frog died. But at the time, the frog was there on a mound where the Buddha was teaching. And the frog awoke in the uh, heavens of the 33 gods. And he went and he paid homage to the Buddha. And he said, how did I arrive here? He said, I didn't know. And I began to like go back and look and see what good thing I could have done to arrive here for this to be my destination. And he said, and then I saw that I had apprehended the sign as the Buddha was teaching. So we never know. You know, I had this thing about pets. I don't think you should have pets. You know, I said, don't bring them. Don't bring your cats and your dogs to the temple. You know, because right now we're trying to take care of people. You know, and, and then somebody brought their dogs and the two dogs got into a fight. And I, I said, you know, we can't do it. But don't you know a cat showed up on my door one day? That cat would not go away. I said, you come to the wrong door. I can't take you in. You have to go somewhere else. That cat would not leave. It would not leave. It would not leave. It was getting colder and colder and colder. And I finally turned to uh, Bonte Pony Deep and I said, you know what? We're going to have to take the cat in. He said, you take him in, your cat. <laughs> so finally I brought the cat in. Don't you know? Well, the first night we sat and we started meditating, that cat climbed all over. It just went from person to person, lap to lap, and then got right in the middle and laid right out like Every time we meditate, every time we are talking about the Dharma, the cat is right there, you know. And so I learned something, you know. I, I, you, these things come by direct experience, and when they do, they hit you in a way that you see the truth or something. And you know, so nobody has to talk to me about that anymore now. You know, I get it. That cat, you know, so it may not transform him from being a cat, but there's the seed planted, and the dharma will bear its own fruit. And sometime in the future, some future reaper, there will be the wonderful opportunity to awaken. And so we have to know these things. But when we know them, then we walk like that rhinoceros in the forest. We don't let anything take away our freedom. We don't cling to anything. So there's enough for everyone. And we extend our hand without any sense of our doing. So there is just the fullness.
Our investment.